right, I'm just going to have to try speaking up because I have no clue where my dongle is. <laughs> my card reader somewhere, wherever that's hiding. All right. No worries. We're really going to buy two of those things. <laughs> Get through this. We got this. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I just watched your little video with Brant Moore last night. Oh, sick. Yeah, I just seen that this morning, actually. I was super <laughs> stoked on that. All right. I just checked. My son says I've got four bars of LTE, so I should be good. Right. I am, I think. I don't have access to Wi-Fi. I live in a bus. Um, <laughs> Where are you right now? I am in a Walmart parking lot in Aurora, Colorado. Holy <laughs> shit. Cool. Yeah. It's a nice one. There's a nice view of the mountains in Walmart parking lot. I love it. Decent. Yeah, dude, that uh, yeah. that rig you got is pretty substantial. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's what I've always dreamed of. <laughs> Damn. So, uh, where do we start? You you came from St. Louis? Yeah, I did most of my growing up in St. Louis. That's where I got into BMX. Yeah. So, uh, you grew up riding there. How long have you been riding? I've been riding for about eleven years now. I think. Right on. Yeah. So like That's when I kind of found out about like BMX anyways. I used to like, uh, just like, you know, run the streets of the neighborhood as a kid. That was kind of my thing to do. Yeah. Cool. Um, when did you leave St. Louis? When did I leave St. Louis? Yeah. Oh, hey, we got a, we got a guy coming through. One second. <laughs> So that's how this is going. I wish I had video. I wish I was recording video. That was that was that was great. <laughs> It'll probably happen. Again. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You could have walked around the bus. That's okay. Though. <laughs> For listeners, uh, a guy with the grocery cart came came right in through the through the podcast. But um, cool man. So you're from St. Louis. You've been riding about ten years. Oh yeah. Yeah. I haven't been trying my best to anyways. I've done uh, 25 Street Jams this year as of last Saturday. That's solid. Like, that's, like, how many other people are doing that, right? Uh, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's almost like some kind of props type shit where, like, you know, you're really branching out. Yeah, and that's a props a huge inspiration. Yeah. What I do. Um, I definitely saw a lack of, you know, like nationwide documentation in BMX. You know, you have everybody in their own crews and their own scenes kind of documenting themselves, but you don't really see anybody actually going state to state to document it all on one channel, you know. Yeah. Um, other than myself, and Matt Perkins does a great job of it as well. Matt Perkins. Um, I'm just doing it with jams, trying to get the whole communities out to do essentially a day edit a highlights video yeah so you do videos of, of these jams as well yeah i do i film and edit the jam videos myself damn doing the good lord's work over there uh it's a lot <laughs> sometimes but I try. Yeah, yeah man there, there's something to be said about that because it's it's you know 
no, nobody's throwing hundred dollar bills at you for doing it. No, not normally. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, when did you start selling used parts? I started selling used parts. I want to say probably about three years ago now. Three years. Um, I was down real bad with a whole horrific. Uh, Wrist case scenario, you can kind of see the scar. Oh shit, yeah. Was that a, a bike related um, so, injury? Um, essentially, I broke my wrist um, four times, I believe it was. Broke it four times. The scaphoid, which you'll hear referred to sometimes as the BMX bone, mm -hmm. it's a small little bone in your wrist that kind of holds your thumb down to your arm. Um, essentially, it breaks pretty easily. It's usually the first bone to go in the wrist, and that blood supply. There's like no blood on bone, so it doesn't heal well. So when I broke it the first time, unfortunately, it kept breaking. Oh wow! And finally, my doctor recommended putting a pin in it. Super easy. And it's one screw. Bada bing, bada boom. Good as new. Um, and it was for a little bit until it got infected and. Long story short, my wrist kind of like rotted away from the inside out. I had to have the bone completely removed. Um, I had to be on a pump IV for like, I think it was like six months, like four hours a day, um, pumping antibiotics into my heart um, to fight off this infection. And then essentially I lost all the cartilage in my wrist. So my wrist was like a sack of rocks. It just felt absolutely miserable every single day doing anything with it so um, for a long time I couldn't work a job and I was like full couch potato mode on my parents couch and I had a lot of bills stacking up that he paid and finally I think it was like after a capital blue jam I did like I think I did like $300 in t-shirt sales and I took that $300 and I bought a bike off of Craigslist and I parted it out. It was like a full custom, you know, aftermarket bike. Parted it out. I think I was able to buy like three more bikes with that money. And then I slowly kind of turned that into the pre-owned parts business, which has been paying my bills ever since. Uh, Damn. Now that I have cleared, I'm good to work a job now and stuff. But uh, why, why stop the hustle? You know, it's been great Jeez. to me. So your wrist feels good now? Well, I actually, I don't have the wrist anymore. I to get it fully fused so my hand is just one with my arm now oh wow um, so you can't go like this at all nope <laughs> not there no more so Gone. does that mean because it doesn't bend it doesn't feel uncomfortable either it just feels stiff um i mean you know for me i'm so used to it it's right it's just normal, mm -hmm. you know. You learn how to adapt with your elbow and your shoulder um, pretty heavily and kind of make up for it. Um, the only issue I've really had since having it fused is that if I push my limits and do, like, real big drops, do, like, heavy impact stuff, then uh, I have started breaking my thumb knuckle really bad. I actually broke a chunk off of it, and it was kind of just floating in there. Ooh. I, essentially what I was told by my surgeon is that I've kind of like crushed that chunk of bone to nothing. Yikes. And I'm just missing a large chunk of my thumb now. Um, and it's like I lost the main ligament as well, so it's like super wiggly and loose on there. 
What the? So fuck? I have heavy, heavy impact. Just because I don't have the wrist to like absorb the impact, you know, it's just all thumb, you know. Right. So I'll like hyper extend my thumb, and my hand will just like rip off the grip. But um, I've gotten pretty well used to just not pushing my limits too much anymore, and kind of keeping it more technical on the riding side of things. Yeah, that's pretty crazy considering how much you do exo rides. Well, I learned those as a product of the whole wrist fiasco. Oh, actually. really? I never, never even tried them. I always thought they were absolutely insane and a wrist breaker of a trick and all that. So I never tried them until I lost my wrist. And uh, for a long time, I like couldn't bunny hop. You know, like in between surgeries, I'd like get cleared to ride, but like the pain was so severe like bunny hopping wasn't an option riding off stuff wasn't an option jumping stuff wasn't an option wow so i just i like roll the ramps at the skin it's the name roll the ramps at the skate park and a lot of rocket manuals okay i learned how to like long distance x-up rides and just just doing that i got super comfortable with them and now that I'm riding again, I'm able to kind of incorporate a different technical. And how long have you been back riding again? Since that? Uh, my surgery must have been like coming up on three years ago. Like two, Dude, two to three years now. You're doing some su- substantial moves out there. <laughs> Thank you, dude. <laughs> I'm, uh, I did I just be goofing around on the bike, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't look like you're being lazy or sluggish. It, you know, you're getting after it. You're you're trying. It, you can tell you're trying shit. You know. Oh yeah, dude. I appreciate that. Hey man. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's instilled in my soul, you know. <laughs> even even with limitations, I can not push that up a little. I love it too much. Is what it's all about. Right. Yeah. And and the way you ride, I wouldn't have said, man, that dude's definitely got a fused wrist or anything. It's actually pretty smooth. So, you know, Thank I gotta, I gotta give you, you some credit there. Damn. So, um, what happened about a year ago? Is it okay that we go to what happened a year ago? Is is that cool with the yeah, timeline man. progress? Hey, hey, you're in charge here. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Wi-Fi is more in charge than I am. Oh, man. <laughs> well, uh, hey, if I need to repeat anything, let me know, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, we, can, we can do double takes if the Wi-Fi needs <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, yeah, a year ago, I assumed you're referring to, like, my Facebook posts and stuff. Uh, yeah, I saw you post something ago. on Instagram, and I was like, oh, shit. So, like, a year. It, it, basically, Mike, Mike told me to reach out to you almost a year ago, and I've just been slacking getting around yeah, to it, but... You know, I, I I had my own bullshit that I was trying to deal with and get through and totally understandable. But yeah. yeah, dude. Um, a year ago, um, well, a little over a year ago, I left my job for a two-month vacation road trip, mm-hmm. and my shitty '95 GMC van. You know, great van, by the way. A lot of history. It did great for five years being a thousand-dollar van. On a BMX yeah. trip. This one, uh, it killed her. I, uh, I essentially I left Virginia and I traveled up the East Coast a little bit, uh, going as far as Philadelphia, and then from there I just booked it out west to do the Capital Lou Jam, 
and then and to go to the Nowhere Cornhucket Jam. And then after Cornhucket, I was off to Denver, which was my last stop of the trip before I had to book it back east. And I think I was like two or three hours outside of Denver, but my motor locked up. And uh, that essentially started like one of the greatest struggles of my life. Hmm. Um, I mean, I was out there, I think I had like a thousand bucks in the account. You know, I'm like perfectly budgeted to have a good time in Denver and put yeah. it all in the tank and get back to Virginia. Right. Uh, but then that happened. You know, I looked into getting the motor and the van and. You know, it was more than the van was worth, but a little bit cheaper than buying a new van. Right. By the way, I had to figure out how to get a loan, and, like, it was going to put me in the negative. And it was really stressful, so I'm out here in Denver, just, like, stressed out of my mind. I didn't even get to enjoy the trip even a little bit, even when I'd hop on my bike. Like, right. My mind was totally elsewhere. Yeah, you got bigger um, problems. Yeah, and... It continued to get worse. It got as bad as I had my friends pull up. Uh, I thought they were pulling up in like a big like dually truck with a nice trailer, and they show up out here in Denver, all the way from St. Louis, in an Escalade with like the rattiest trailer I've ever seen. <laughs> and I guess they thought that they were going to tow me back home oh or drop a new motor in it and get me on my way. Tow a van. That didn't happen, which like sent me back like even further and even harder. And I'm like, now I'm coming up. I'm like, crap, dude, I gotta be in Virginia back at my job in five days. Like, and I'm already catching weird vibes from them. Like, they almost didn't want me back or something. So I'm like, dude, like I gotta be back on time. Yeah. So um, I ended up talking with my family, and it was stressful, but. I, finally, they were willing to help me out with a loan to buy a new vehicle, mm-hmm. and that's when I went bus shopping. Sixteen-year-old <laughs> me, a long time ago, always said we're going to get a shot of loss and we're going to do a countrywide tour of street jams. So when my family was willing to help me, I I put it into my own perspective that I'm going to get a bus and I'm going to truck this thing across the country now like yeah see how she does really put her to the test and then i'm gonna spend two years living in my work parking lot paying it off (laughs) so that that was my plan at the time and you know uh, i don't come from a super rich family or anything so i had to get back to work and get to paying yeah yeah um the bucks did do great getting all the way back to virginia and i shit you not as soon as i get into town my brakes go out no, oh, shit. holy shit, I made it! <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I'm already hurt for money, I'm in the negative, gotta get the brakes fixed, that was, that was whatever. Um, and then about a month goes by, man, and, you know, the place where I was working just didn't seem like it was working out, it really seemed like their attitude changed about me, and that they weren't paying me. Really? Like, like, I was getting, like, less than half of my paychecks each week, so, dude, I was like, losing my mind like working 50 hours a week and then only getting the bare minimum i need to live off of so now i've got my family you know barking at me for money and dude, it was so stressful and then i lost the job right and i'm stranded in a walmart parking lot when it's like 10 degrees out every night oh this boy. diesel bus won't start in that cold weather it doesn't have brakes it was it was gnarly dude i was 
at a super low point in my life, and uh, I got all the money I had, and I yeah, I hit up Evan Fisher, and I'm like, dude, would you be willing to make me a super awesome flyer, including my bus and all this? I want to do a tour of Street Jam. Yeah, cost me everything I had at the moment, and then I parted out my brake bike to get some funds to mm-hmm. buy some, you know, now that I'm on my own again, to buy some bikes to part out and yeah. get that gig rolling again and uh, that that kind of took off slow but it was working out and dude I went balls to the wall planned out 10 jams all the way down the east coast you know working my way towards warm weather so it was yeah. getting really cold <laughs> and, uh, you know I just and I just listened to 16 year old me the whole time I'm like alright I got the bus I've been more broke than this before. Like, yeah. Let's, let's make do. Let's fire it up and do the damn thing. <laughs> so, I got two questions. Uh, what's the year making model of the bus that you got? And how old are you? Uh, well, it's a 97 uh, Ford E Super Duty. So, it's the 7.3 liter power stroke shuttle bus. Pretty roomy, uh, fits in one parking spot, which is nice. Nice. Uh, just like the bus, I am 24 years old from 1997. So that was uh, kind of a good sign for me when I bought it. <laughs> Funny story, actually, it was advertised as a 2001 bus, and it wasn't until after I had agreed on the price with the dude that I jumped in his car. We're going to his house. I'm like following. We're following the bus to his house to do the paperwork. And I look at the tag, and I'm like, Why does it say 97? Oh. And I haggled him down like another thousand dollars. At least, so, right? Like, and being a 97 was kind of like a sign to me in a good way. <laughs> but it also got me the bus for a little bit cheaper, so that was cool. Yeah. Damn. Holy shit. Please make sure to include in this podcast Mike Sheridan, everybody. <laughs> if you could like put that on like a repeat like 10 times fast, that'd be sick. Mike Sheridan, everybody? Yeah, he loves <laughs> when I say that a lot. <laughs> Damn. All right. So I wanted to ask you, uh, what are the most common used parts that get um, passed down? And what are the most common parts that are like just snap and that nobody's going to reuse? Um, I mean, honestly, I just try to do as good a job as I can of like cleaning these parts really well, mm. taking stickers off of them and stuff, because then I really get a good understanding of the damage. That's what I'll find out if anything has a dent or a crack when I'm cleaning yeah. it down real well, really inspecting it. But um, yeah, I just try to do a good job of inspecting stuff and I'll determine whether it still has life in it or not before I go ahead and sell it. Yeah. But you know, I, I can't think of any parts that just aren't good after they've been used. I can think of some things on the race side of things that are like that, but I don't right. deal with that stuff personally. So, so it's mostly you know, freestyle of, stuff. Yeah, I, I only do freestyle stuff. So, uh, you know, as long as it's not like really easy, then I'll donate it to a kid if it has any life or I'll throw mm-hmm. it away, you know. But yeah, yeah, most things are good to resell. Have you ran into anybody else doing this? as well like the used parts kind of thing um actually a long time ago i knew a dude that did it kind of small scale as like a side hustle um 
I know there's been some dudes that have like done little BMX shops out in the back of their vans and stuff back in the day, but up until I started doing the pre-owned thing, I've never really seen anybody like really pursuing it the way I did. And since I have started doing it, I have seen a lot of dudes starting to pop up doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of dudes over in the UK that, hell, they got more inventory than me. You know, they're making a killing off the stuff. And, you know, there's even a few people in the States now that are doing it too. So that's cool. Uh, I have competition now. <laughs> do you think BMX brands frown on that, or do you think that they're stoked on that? Um, I mean, Honestly, I'd imagine they might not like their pre-owned parts being sold. I've only heard of one company that uh, actually puts it in their dealer agreement that if you're selling our new stuff, you absolutely are not allowed to sell any of our products used. Wow. Um, huh. but, you know, I had a feeling there was somebody like that. Go ahead, I'm sorry. That? I said I had a feeling there was somebody out there like that. <laughs> yeah. There is, and again, there's only one company that that's good. I tell of that's like that. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, I'm able to hook up kids, or adults for that matter, to BMX riders in general, I'm able to hook people up with cash for their spare parts that are collecting dust. Yeah. You know, and then I'm able to sell this stuff for way cheaper than this stuff costs brand new, which helps kids out especially especially when I'm bringing it to all these areas, a lot of cities that don't have BMX shops, you know, mm-hmm. so they're able to get a good deal on this stuff, get a quality product, you know, something lighter, something stronger than their stock bike, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, I think that's the beautiful part about it. Yeah. I think and it's pretty cool. Out other people in multiple ways. And I do plan on eventually, uh, getting like a storefront and then that online. I'll still do pre-owned stuff, but it'll be kind of on the side. I'm planning on signing up with all the main dealers and yeah. trying to supply or keep in stock as many companies' parts as I can. Yeah, you could have like a a separate, separate but same business where you just call it like Tim's pre-owned or some shit. <laughs> exactly, a great idea, right? Yeah. <laughs> you could do like a, a commercial where it looks like a used car salesman. That'd be kind of funny too. especially with like did you listen to the um uh chris moeller podcast that was on our bmx and he was talking about like the parts drought and all that shit yeah and if that's if that really happens we're gonna come to you you know yeah well it's already happening pretty large scale actually not only that but the prices on parts are not only have they started going up, but there's about to be like an industry-wide price hike up. I, I couldn't tell you when, but it's coming. Damn. A lot of companies are talking about it. <laughs> uh, oh, shit. Uh, I know a lot of people talking about it publicly, but it's coming. It's going to be mandatory. Otherwise, BMX is going to start to die out. It's, it's kind of weird to think about things being more expensive will make it die out, but yeah, it's starting you know the things are tightening up on not just small companies who are really hurting trying to get into things right now Mm -hmm. but the larger companies too you know the profit margins are getting cut they're having to compete with 
all these mountain bike and road bike industries where the margins are way larger, the numbers are way bigger, everything. So they're yeah. able to pay more for expedited manufacturing, expedited shipping into the country. Well, that's doing and just pushing BMX down. We don't have the profit margins. No. To, to comply with that. The largest no. bike company is still a little bike company compared to other bike mountain bike companies. Exactly. Absolutely. Damn. What was I going to say? Something uh, about the bike drought. I was going to say something about the bike drought. Now it escapes me. Fuck. Quick shout out to our sponsor for this video. New Belgium Summer Bliss. Nice. Never heard of it before, but I grabbed some before this review and it's really tasty. Decent, decent. Always like a good <laughs> beer shout out. Oh, I remember now. So I have a I have a buddy who started riding around the same time I did and then stopped riding and I'd say within the past year or two picked it back up. And he's he posted on his Instagram story looking through a dance comp catalog at frames and he's like the, he was like, What frame should I buy? I don't know anymore. And I wanted to reply to it and say, none of them are good anymore because we had to not, we had to stop heat treating them, all of them, to cut $100 off the frames. And I, but I didn't want to be like a, a sour lemon to the guy. But, yeah. but I, wanted to I, I wanted to give him the whole diatribe of like, no frame is heat treated anymore. Good luck. Pick whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. that, that's, that's partially true. You know, it's kind of rare now. There's definitely a lot of companies cutting costs wherever they can, and you know, I mean, what else are you supposed to do? You're competing in a market where frames are less than four hundred dollars. Yep. And it costs how much to make a frame? Yeah. A lot more than that. It, it's, it's. I've been getting close on having capital frames made here in the United States, and it's more than four hundred dollars for me to have one made and powder coated for most of these manufacturers. Right. And that's up until like I'm ordering you know batches of like 100 150 you know that's a high number uh, crazy to think for a small a small company like me to pay 400 dollars a frame for my first batch of frames and now i have to put it on the market for 375 dollars <laughs> everybody else's prices yeah and so that's kind of what i was talking about you know all these companies sticking to their price point and holding on to it as best as they can, they're kind of hurting the smaller guys that are trying to get into BMX right. because there's no competing with that. Yeah, there's it's a race to the bottom. You have a huge investment to put down. Have you heard the, the phrase BMX is allergic to money? I think... Uh, I think uh, Joe. I think Gromdad on one of his podcasts said something like that. But um, it's like a race to the bottom in a way, you know. Yeah. No, I did hear a Chris Muller quote. It said, "I don't know if it's actually true or not." Yeah. I've seen it on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it said, "If you want to be a millionaire off of BMX, you need to start with two million dollars." <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so and I think that's true. You know, if, if you're at it for money, you're going to be severely disappointed. Yeah, and I, me, we can move on after this if you want to. I just wanted to 
say it because we're already on the topic, but he, I know in that conversation he mentioned like how his his wife has helped with media and other things and how professional some people can be. And he, he mentions, you know, you you pay people better, they kind of act better, they kind of perform better, they kind of throw, you pay people professional wages, they give you professional work. And it's like, okay, Chris, how do we do that? For how do we get our bike riders to do that? You know, how do we get a BMX version of Rob Deerdeck? Because all we need, as successful as Nigel is, Nigel doesn't have his own shoe. You know what I mean? Like, even even Garrett doesn't have his own shoe. Like, Anderson's got a fucking slip on. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, no, I hear that. Yeah. It is just, you know, and again, that to me, it's because there's a big like, constriction on the BMX industry because we're fighting to keep retail prices the same as they were 10 years ago, but the price of making things is so much more than it was 10 years ago. Right, right. You know, obviously, shoe companies and clothing companies and stuff like that, they really help because they're kind of pulling money into BMX from other places, you know? So if fans can sell billions of shoes a year in malls because it's what every kid thinks is in style, and then they can take a fraction of that money and donate it to BMX, essentially, then that's awesome. Yeah. As far as, like, actual BMX companies go, dude, the money's getting less and less, I feel like. Which mm-hmm. is really hurting things. So honestly, you know, I uh, haven't mentioned it yet in this interview, but I am planning on pushing capital as a parts company here soon. And I'm just being super straightforward yeah. saying, dude, my shit's going to be expensive. Right. I'm looking at the cost of having these parts made, and it, it's pointless. Mm-hmm. You know, I can either pay for them and then sell them for the same price to compete with everybody else and just be giving stuff away for free essentially yeah which is great a lot of people do that and i get that but i don't have a whole lot of overhead i live in a bus and i'm kind of living come up to come up so yeah i i gotta make 25 bucks off this rocket even if that's it and then i have to take into consideration i can't just make 25 bucks off a sprocket because then that means I can't sell them to bike shops. Right. There's not going to be enough meat on the bone for them. Exactly. If it's a $75 sprocket, my profit margin is $25. That means they're going to be getting like 12 bucks for selling one of my sprockets. Why would they bother? Yeah. It's not worth it. I think maybe that's the reason why they've been keeping the prices as low as they have is because they think that they're going to help the bike shops out. By keeping the prices low, but if everybody raises their prices, people are still gonna have to buy the stuff. Exactly. You know, and then that helps the bike shops out because they're actually getting a reasonable profit margin. You know, which means now they have more money to invest into more parts, into more riders, into all of it, into doing jams. Mm-hmm. Jams are jams, and bike shops are the backbone. Absolutely. You know. I heard that I don't know if this happens anymore, but I, I heard that at one of the older in, inner bikes 
all the heads of all the bike companies kind of get together and they're like, what are we doing? You know, what's next? Because they're all basically getting their shit from the same places. Sure. And if if everybody could, I don't know if there if there's like a like a a union. Yeah, some <laughs> some kind of like heads of state or whatever that I would believe it. I know that there is uh, something of the sort amongst a lot of the big BMX shops, um, just like kind of an open discussion forum where they all get together and kind of ask each other questions and yeah. you know, kind of try to get a grip on what's going on in the industry together as a team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure uh, that's where all the juicy details of the industry are. Yeah, obviously. I'm sure, yeah. That's where you'd find, you know, information regarding price hikes and stuff that are coming and price hikes that have already happened. Yeah. Look like the Shadow Supreme chain. It went up ten dollars this year. Oh, Primo did. pivotal seats are fifty bucks a pop now. Primo what is? Pivotal seats. Oh really? Like fifty dollars a pop, yeah. Yo, ch- check out this random fact. You know you know the pivotal like pattern? Yeah. Did you know that there the dude yeah, you gotta pay for the pattern, right? Well the the people who invented it made mad money off of it. Because mountain bikes took it and ran with it and everything, but um I don't know if it's I don't know where it's manufactured, but where it is manufactured, they didn't have like a real mold for it. So they would just use old seats to make the mold for the new seats. Have you ever gotten a pivotal post that didn't match up with the seat before? Uh, I've had some that kind of seemed off, but they were fine when you turned them down. Yeah. Uh, I, I had it explained to me that that, that was why. <laughs> so even though there's all this R and D and patent this and money going there, it's like, okay, what are we doing? <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's tough, and those items are hard to get in. I hear it all the time. People assume they're easy items, but like, oh Tim, why don't you just order up some pedals and why don't you order up some grips? Why don't you order up some seats? You mm-hmm. know. Yeah, it, it sounds simple. Yeah, you just order this stuff off with the Capital logo on it. Not a big well, no, you got to pay for the pivotal tap before you can even make a single seat. Mm-hmm. You got to pay for the mold for pedals before you can make a single pedal. Got to pay for the mold for grips before you make a single grip. There's a few other parts like this too. Right. Yeah, it's like, being, uh, I'm not mistaken. I think. Uh, Pedals are ten thousand dollars a mold, so if you're doing a, you obviously have to do a right and a left pedal. So it's twenty thousand dollars before I can make one single fifteen dollar yeah. pedal. Yeah, that's twenty uh, G's before uh, anybody even puts their foot on it. <laughs> right. So that's, yeah, it's, it's tough, dude. Yeah. Trying to try to get involved in the industry and get parts out there is really really tough. Actually. Do you think that there is like a maybe a market or like a window? into domestic manufacturing in that case or no you mean united states manufacturing right yeah well um i kind of have mixed opinions on the matter but uh yeah right you know i think usa manufacturing really is kind of the way forward from here because we're getting to a point where some manufacturers are saying up to four years out Wow. So, and that's to like the big companies, let alone if Capital BMX tried to reach out. 
Yeah. But all these big name BMX companies, they're trying to get their parts ordered. All right, cool. We'll have them manufactured in four years, and then they'll go on the slow boat. And who knows what the shipping situation is going to be like in four years? That could be four years plus two years out on the ocean. <laughs> and I've already seen posts and stuff, and people posting their parts. You know, why is my frame full of rust? Why is my bars full of rust? Like inside the tubes where it's not powder coated? Yeah. Well, it's because your parts have been sitting on a boat out in the salt water for the past year before they got to the bike shop. <laughs> Holy cow! What a shit show! Wow. Seeing a simple deal, you can wipe it out, whatever. But Say that it's again? true, you know. That, there's serious restrictions on the industry right now because there's not enough money to get past these hurdles. I wish that more people talked about it too because it cause, because what it seems like is, oh, look at this video. Oh, look at that video. Just keep looking at videos. Just keep watching these edits and everything's going to be okay. Keep buying these $370 frames. Yeah, keep clicking on these hot pocket ads, and, and everything will be all right. Big respect to S and F because they're charging like four fifty a frame right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I hate to say it, you know, I know there's going to be a lot of kids that hear this and are like, can't afford four hundred and fifty dollars frame. Well, holler at Tim Free on BMX, so I'll get you set up for a lot less. But <laughs> no, that's beside the point. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it is a step in the right direction because now. That nobody's going to feel like they're competing with S&M at 375 a frame. Now they might be more comfortable to go up to 450 and the sooner everybody does, you know, the sooner things will get a little bit better in the industry, in my opinion. I, I kind of agree with you there, you know? It just makes sense. to be a writer and have to pay for the stuff. I yeah. But then you see people walking around in Yeezys and buying PlayStation 5s like it's no tomorrow, you know? So it's like, it seems like the the people are so willing to spend money more so now than before as well. It's weird. And, uh, I, I got that vibe a lot when I was working in the bike shop for a while. Not my own, not when I was running my own gig, but uh, yeah. it literally, I think it was like the second week of COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Second week of the pandemic, my boss comes up to me and he's like, "Yo, how would you like to do your whole road trip thing like early, like right now?" Like, <laughs> and I'm like, "Whoa, like am I fired? Like what's going on?" He's like, "No, but with this whole pandemic thing, like I can't afford to have you all working, you know." So then he puts in a mandatory rule: one person in the shop every day. There's four employees. So oh man. Means, I get, you know, if I'm lucky, I get two shifts a week, you know, that's rough. Well, we're like two weeks into that, and it's just, everybody's like laid off work. Yeah. Everybody's going on unemployment, and everybody's buying bikes. Mm-hmm. Everybody's looking for something, everybody's getting back into BMX, everybody's getting their kids on BMX bikes, everybody's spending their stimulus check, dialing in their bike, you know. Yeah. Like it's two weeks in, we're like, boss man, like, it ain't happening. We need all hands on deck. Right. Yeah. And it is crazy. I was actually talking with my friend the other day. You know, there's so many like 
There's so many businesses, what? They cut out. Uh, I was talking with my friend the other day about how, like, there's so many businesses, like, struggling and going out of business because of the pandemic. But then you look at the bike industry and it's booming. Right. And it's like, it's booming so hard, it's actually, like, almost bad because it's like everything got cleaned off the shelves. Yeah. And now people are going to order more stuff, and they're being told they got to wait four years. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so what are we going to do for bike work? Even when I built my new bike recently, I was mm-hmm. talking with Grant over at PSD, mm-hmm. and he's telling me that they're probably not going to have any more shipments coming in until like 2022. And I'm like, dude. Fuck, like, all right, I'll buy everything now then. Yeah. I don't want to be high and dry without a bike. Yeah, everything's booming out of stock. Holy shit. So, dude, it's it's crazy. The industry is so flip flop, supply and demand is so shot. So, yeah. Long story short, it's time for prices to go up. Yeah, the demand is there. It is, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I didn't think we'd talk this much about the industry, but I'm glad we got to. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we got on topic of that. I don't <laughs> mind talking about it. I know a lot of people are scared too, but yeah. I'm trying to start a BMX company. I want I want the industry to be a safe place for me to run my business in 10 years, you know? So I don't mind talking about it. You shouldn't feel guilty for taking a profit either. As long as you're not scamming anybody, why should you feel guilty? Yeah, literally. Uh, that's... Nobody starts a business to not turn a profit, you yeah. know? And in the case of most BMX companies, all that profit goes back into BMX anyways. That's how I strive to run my company. That's why all my proceeds go towards doing bike jams everywhere. I tell you and what then, though, you running it as lean as you are right now is only gonna pay you back exponentially down the road when you settle up with anything, you know? I appreciate that, man. I. I like to hope so. Yeah. I, I don't plan on quitting anytime soon. So. <laughs> you got a couple yeah. more states left. <laughs> yeah, I got. I got to quit. <laughs> what uh, what's your been your favorite and least favorite states so far? Oh man, favorite and least favorite state. Um. For the jam aspect, I guess. That's be- tough. I, I'd probably say Florida for the favorite state jam mm-hmm. just because the vibe was great there's a bunch of riders a bunch of different cities and like all the after parties were like out of this world like crazy crazy long nights you know and yeah getting to hang out with Mike Sheridan and everybody and you know, chill <laughs> on this couch for a month it was great cool um, Yeah, I, I just had very few complaints about Florida. The beaches? Oh my god, having a pina colada on the beach on <laughs> after a jam, dude. <laughs> being out to my nipples in water and still being able to see my toes in the ocean, dude, it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, my least favorite state, I hate to say it, but I'd have to go with Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, the BMX scene is great. All the BMX riders there are family. I love them. The jam we did there was out of this world i'll be dropping a highlights video for that within the next week too cool uh, but dude i was there for like i think almost two weeks i was in minnesota 
And I swear, every day I would just, like, run into these, like, horrible, mean, rude people, dude. Like... Just regular normie people. Just shitty people, man. Seriously, on the road. Mm-hmm. Like, I would I got trapped on the highway one day. I couldn't get off three different exits because I put my blinker on, and the person I was going to get in front of would floor it up beside me. And then nobody uses their blinker there, so I started to understand you just don't use your blinker in Minnesota to get the fuck over. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, dude, and then I won't tell you all the stories, but I dealt with a lot of just random shitty people for no reason there. But literally my last day in town, I think I had planned on staying another couple of days. I dealt with this guy, and I was like, nope, I'm leaving. This is it. I'm done. Um, I'm in a Walmart parking lot where I slept for the night. I backed into a parking spot, and I'm actually building my brand new bike that I got from BSD. You know, it's like a full BSD aftermarket build. It's like a two thousand dollar bike. You know, uh-huh. super nice. I'm building it up. I'm literally Which BSD frame? BSD Soldier. Nice. Best geometry ever. I love that frame. I have the Freedom <laughs> frame. That's why I asked. Uh, yeah, that was going to be my second choice. <laughs> but yeah, dude, I'm, I'm putting the finishing touches on. I'm like putting my capital stickers on. Them. I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like, the big old semi truck pulls in front of the bus like blocks me into the parking spot and this dude comes out and gets in my face and he's like you got a, you got bikes in there that aren't yours like, what the I'm, like, fuck? I'm like what are you talking about I'm like uh, and I'm like confused at first I'm like yeah I got a bike shop back here like maybe you recognize me like did you want to get a bike built and like, oh, let me in your box. Look, show me. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? He's like, what my bike got stolen from over there. I'm like, what are you talking about? I pointed at my license plate. I'm like, bro, I didn't drive here from Missouri to steal your bike. <laughs> like, dude, like, like, this is a $2,000 BMX bike that I just paid. Yeah, we don't want your jalopy, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm out here stealing your shitty Walmart bike, bro? Like, no. And it was just so random for no reason. You yeah. just see me with a bike. Wow. And that constituted literally tra- trapping me into a parking spot and harassing me and trying to force me to let him search my bus for his bike. Oh, man. Like, what, dude? Oh, my God. And that's just that's just like the epitome of Minnesota people. I don't know. All my friends told me, Minnesota nice. That's like the quote out there. Everybody in Minnesota is so nice. They... No, dude, people there were shitty as fuck. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> Super rude, dude. I was so... And again, it was every day. It was like, right, so I hate Minnesota. <laughs> Never again. Right. Sorry to anybody from Minnesota watching this, but it <laughs> ruined it for me. <laughs> Do you... Uh... Is is Capital BMX brand like an LLC? Do you have like the name or anything like that? Yeah, it's an LLC. That's cool. And uh, when you eventually put roots down, I guess you're gonna avoid Minnesota. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so a little bit of what I'm planning on doing is to uh, settle down in St. Louis, where I'm from. That's where I feel like I have my ties. That's where I feel like I I owe that community for getting me into BMX and keeping me involved in BMX. So I will, after the tour, settle down in St. Louis. I'm planning on buying a warehouse. Um, I'm going to do a private ramp facility just for me and the friends because more industry talk, but at uh, moving a private public 
skate park is not a good business model and they tend to fail. So. Yeah. But I, I'm going to have Rasmus be in the boys, maybe a product testing area for anybody that comes and buys parts. You know? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, something like that. And I'm going to have a storefront and then I'd like to have a warehouse space where I can actually run those geese scared the shit out of me. I don't know if you've heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'd like to have a storefront where the locals can come in and shop and then a warehouse space in the back where I can stack up inventory and operate a mail order business. Cool. Um, obviously, keep the pre-owned thing going, but can you, uh, it'll kind of be more of a side piece at that point. Is, is there two St. Louis's, Missouri and Minnesota? Uh, well, there's St. Louis, and it's split in between Missouri and Illinois, technically. Oh, oh okay, gotcha. East St. Louis on the Illinois side, but there's not a whole lot over there. It's mm. not the greatest neighborhood to start a business, mm. uh, let alone being in the state of Illinois. Already not a great place to start. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, I'll be somewhere in Missouri. Um, uh, it's hard to say where. I'd like to find an ideal location and kind of run with it. Damn, that's cool, man. Thank you. That's gonna be crazy. So, is there a, is there any kind of like rules against selling used parts online? Like, I see it on like eBay and shit. But I mean, like, if you had your own storefront and you had like a used part section, I feel like Albies used to do that. Yeah, Alps used to do it. Dance Comp used to do it. Uh, Powers Bike Shop does it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah. Again, there's a dealer. A certain dealer that uh, has in their contract agreement that does selling of our used product. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that, but again, I've never run into that with any other brand. You know. Have you used gotten a lot of? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just, you know, it all kind of comes down to just trying to sell quality used products. You know. Yeah. I'm not going to sell something that's like coated, like spray paint. They're not going to sell something that looks like trash that I am not, that I wouldn't be confident in myself. Right, know? yeah. Because um, it is kind of one of them line in that regard, yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn, that's really cool. When I worked for Vanna 2x4, they had used recycled rubber for the complete bikes of the fits. And um, basically, all of the recycled tubes were faulty. So we would be sitting in the oh, shop, and you just randomly. Pssst. Yeah, man. Um, I know, not to dog on the company or anything, but I know Tree ordered inner tubes one time, and that honestly, it, it would kind of fit Tree's motto if they were like the same reason too. But uh, yeah, they were like defective tubes that weren't any good. Yeah, it you seems know, like a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> As much as we want to get away with that, it's, the technology is not quite right for it, or the manufacturing of it, or something, whatever. And it sucks, because I mean, for a lot of companies that ordered those tubes, it's probably just a loss, you know. Big time. There's a lot of bad BMX, dude. There's a lot of companies getting screwed over and just taking L's, man. So. Yeah. You know, again, better profit margin help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We we basically we need to raise prices. Yeah, that's mandatory. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Fucking. Okay. 
I, I remember uh, hearing that tire the molds for tires were like ten grand a piece or some shit like that too. Yeah. And if you're doing multiple sizes. That's why Animal quit doing uh, ASM tire because the manufacturer lost the mold. Are you serious? Yeah, that's why they quit doing that tire. I think they finally bought the mold again, actually. I think I just seen the other day that they're making them again. But yeah, for years there was no ASM tires because there wasn't a mold for them anymore. Wow. See, they already paid 10 grand for the mold and another 10 grand for the next size mold, you know? Like, they weren't trying to cough up that 20 grand again. I, I really like that tire too. That one and the Tom Whitewall were like two of my favorite tires. Yeah. But. Yeah, man. That's no, tough. I don't like that mold stuff. You, you don't see Capital tires or see through grips or battles. Damn. So, uh, what's what's the vision for Capital brand? Do you have like a team already, or? Um. So we have. What we still call the Capital Crew, mm-hmm. which it was originally Capital Crew BMX. Uh, we started that up in 2016. Kind of a crew of us youngins, you know, out filming videos for the YouTube channel, uh, going on road trips together and stuff. Uh, and then, you know, people kind of went ways and stuff, but we still got a good majority of the Capital Crew on board. Um, it's kind of just like a family thing, you know? Right, yeah. It's not really a team per se, mm-hmm. but I am planning on, you know, growing a team as I start introducing the whole part aspect to the brand. Um, my big thing is I've never wanted to put, some, put somebody on a team and yeah. only have hats and t-shirts to offer them. Right, know? right, yeah. And I'm not really trying to hook them up with my pre-owned because yeah. as awesome of me as that would be to do, it doesn't really benefit my brand in the long run. Yeah. Whereas if I have a capital stem and I got these dudes riding a capital stem, the people are going to see that and want capital stems, you know? Yeah. So, uh, that's a big hurdle I'm trying to get through this year, actually, is get parts made, get prototypes for the crew and a few dudes that I want to eventually ride for me. Yeah. And then once that starts to take off, yeah, I'm planning on doing a nationwide team. I've been scouting out a lot of dudes this year while I've been on the road. You know, I mean, honestly, if you look at a lot of the winners' list for the Capital Jams, a lot of those dudes have good chances of riding for me. You know, a lot of real humble dudes that haven't really seen the light of day in the industry. You know, but yeah, still pro level riders. Um, want to give a quick shout out to my dude mike green i actually gave that cat permission to claim capital brand he's the only person i put on the team so far yeah. just because he has such an awesome attitude in two weeks he felt like half a video part for the capital dvd so that guy right there is like literally what i'm looking for as i go to create a team in the near future so i'm super stoked to have that cat on board Super stoked to get some bike park on his bike by the end of the year. So, yeah. looking forward to doing more of that, dude. It's, it's yeah. all in the works for sure. That's cool, man. I feel like you're creating a new dynamic that kind of reminds me of like the old 70s, 80s dynamic where like Skyway would do like a tour around bike shops and it's like, this, 
that's how you're going to scoop people up, you know, like doing these jams, seeing what the talent is out there, you know. Yeah. Did you get any uh, advice or feedback from, from other bike shops as you've been on your journey? You, I know you mentioned Powers. Yeah, um, I mean, I worked at Powers for a while, so I learned a lot there. Oh, cool. I worked there for a year. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm fully aware that I have a long ways to go and I have a lot to learn. I have a lot of connections to make still. Mm-hmm. But I think where I'm at now, I'm pretty well off. And I, I don't feel... You cut out right there. I'm sorry. I don't know. I, uh, I was saying... Uh, I feel like I don't really give off the vibe that I necessarily need advice, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I, I think these bike shops see me pull up with my own bubble shop, and <laughs> I'm in the back, and I've got the mail order already set up on the website, which I run, and uh, I, I think I've got the gist of it, essentially. And yeah. Kinda, I, I think people think I might be well off enough to make <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm sure some shop owners are, like see you and they're like, dude, damn, that dude's more committed than I am. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. I've, uh, uh, I've received various degrees of judgment from mm-hmm. BMX shops while I've been on the road, you know. Yeah. Some you know, don't like what I'm doing, unfortunately, but a lot of them fucking love the shit out of it and just want to support it. So. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I don't see how anybody could hate on it because it takes a lot of heart to do that shit, you know. It does, absolutely. Yeah. Especially doing everything I'm doing, man. It takes everything. I've got like 80 hours a week some weeks. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm working at least full time. There's a lot of weeks and 80 hours of, you know, doing it all. It's, it gets yeah. hectic. But I love it. I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's the work I want to be doing. And to do it for myself is such an accomplishing feeling. Yeah. Yeah, to have no one to answer to is pretty sick. It is nice. To be able to handle work at, like, midnight, you know, <laughs> <that's great. laughs> So, uh, uh, touching on your, on your bike riding itself, um, tell me more about that. Like, where did the pink tires come from? Was that just, like, a like a swag thing you decided to come up with? or Were you a fan of Eddie Cleveland? I mean, Eddie Cleveland, sick. Hell yeah. Um, I can't say he was a huge inspiration to me, but right, right. now when I watch it, then it's now that I do like all the XF rides and the current clips and stuff. Now when I watch it, then it's I find inspiration mm-hmm. uh, for for sure. Um, the the old princess bike, which I actually just retired. Oh um, shit! <laughs> that was uh, I don't know how'd that go down. Um, well, one my my favorite bike as a kid growing up was the Sunday. Fun day, Aaron Ross signature watermelon bike. All right. We all green with the pink accents. I always wanted that bike as a kid. So I actually, I was working at Powers. I was doing their whole pre-owned thing. And one of my homies hits me up. You know, I got a few bikes and a bunch of spare parts that I'm looking to get rid of. You know, a lot of it's been mounted, but never rode. It's still good as new. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, well, and, uh, you know, sell this stuff to me at a profitable price. So 
I just went ahead and like the whole Pink Odyssey kid, the G Sport ramp and all of it. I just kind of paid him for that mm-hmm. and then bought the rest for powers. And uh, so I got that stuff super cheap. And I'm like, all right, sick. And I looked up my frame that I was riding at the time. Mind you, I'm super picky every time I build a bike. So the frame I was riding at the time on my old bike before that, I found out it came in like a big green color. And I was like, ooh, you know, big green with all pink. It's kind of similar to the old Funday Air Ross and kind of my own thing too. Yeah. So I was really hyped on that bike. And it was just nice to me because I came to you here. This is like drive like green color ski. So to go to something really like poppy was a nice change and after about two years on it uh started falling apart it was new bike time and i'm gonna be honest i was so sick of looking at that thing (laughs) 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 yeah i loved it i loved the the color scheme but yeah i got tired of being on it and i got tired of like being recognized for the bike Mm -hmm. you know i kind of want like i mean i'm sure it's not like that but I kind of felt like, I don't know, maybe building a duller bike would kind of, uh, you know, put more emphasis on my writing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And dude, literally, as soon as I posted that I had built a new bike, I had like 15 Odyssey fanboys in my inbox kayaks messaging me about stems. I just told him everything earlier that son of a bitch. <laughs> everybody know kayaks was son of a bitch. <laughs> Even though his mom's a nice lady. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I built the, the dull, like, I call it dumpster blue. Because, uh, funny enough, as soon as I got done building it, I'm, like, looking around somewhere to take a photo, and there's a dumpster, like, the exact same shade of blue. Oh, uh, nice. So dumpster blue, just dumpster blue frame, like a super pale blue. Mm-hmm. All black, everything with tan wall tires, mm-hmm. and then I decided I'd do raw bars on it, so hopefully they rust down super nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The pink bike, Princess bike, was really nice for a while, and it got old. And now I'm on something <laughs> dull. Who knows? In two years, I'll probably be on something wicked flashy again. Yeah. Looking at it. That's the fun part, is you know, having a steez and, and changing shit out. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's really cool, man. I'm excited for you. That's. I'm glad that you uh, were able to. I'm glad that fucking FaceTime decided to work and we were able to shoot the shit a little bit. <laughs> okay, I was, I was scared there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is technology really that against me right now? I need that Steve Crandall fact so I can put him on the phone. That dude is a huge inspiration behind everything. Yeah, yeah. Influenced me so much as a kid to really pursue BMX in the career, even though I feel like he really tried to tried to push the whole "it's not worth doing" thing. That's what really inspired me. It's <laughs> 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 right on my alley. You said, yeah, "All right, so bet." I seen him uh, when I first moved to Powers. Uh, yeah. It was for the last ever FDM DIY World Championship. And dude, Steve's just out there like roasting on everybody, myself included. Like, what the fuck? That's not an FDM. Get <laughs> <in> there, <laughs> yeah. 
It's kind of crazy that FBM closed their doors, quote unquote, before the pandemic, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and again, I hate to bring the topic up again, but a lot of people speculate because it was keeping its frames under $400. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. Right. Can't be doing that, especially not American made, you know? Yeah, at this point. You know, that, there was a lot of other reasons, too, I know. That's a big thing. We're gonna see more. We're gonna lose more BMX companies to that. It's gonna happen. Yeah. Or people will raise the price more. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see for sure. Bike shops, yeah. listen. <laughs> listen up. Yeah. Not to touch down on that topic anymore. I think yeah. we covered that. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, thank you for for joining me. I'll. Uh, thank, uh, you. thank you for having me. Super stoked to be on here with you. Definitely, dude. I I love having people on, and it's like sometimes really hard for me to get people because I don't I don't try really hard to get people. <laughs> so I'm stoked yeah, to have. Yeah, I'd watch that for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm stoked to have somebody like you on that's you know doing something good for BMX, you know. So. Thank you, dude. I try my best. Seriously. But uh. As as always with all of my episodes with guests, I like to let them pick the outro music. What's a what's a song off the top of your head that you'd like to, to uh, play? I out? think we're gonna have to go with anything by Black Sabbath. Cool. <laughs> this one's dedicated to Powers Mike. Awesome. Shout out to them. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Do I get to pick the next interviewee? That should be a thing. Uh, if you, if you have any ideas, I'm down there. Yeah, I want you to interview that guy Carl Hinckley with Nowhere BMX, please. Seriously, yeah. Dude. Cool. Please get get in touch with him. Tell him I sent you. Please, that dude has so much insight. He has been in the industry for so long, and he he needs to be in more podcasts, more interviews. He really deserves it. Please yeah. Him I saw that Brant Moore thing, and I was like. This dude's got the world's biggest handlebars at his house, and nobody's talking about it. Like what? Much more. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. It's for everything. Thank you for having me. No problem. Perfect. Peace out, brother. Thank Take you it easy, man. Again.